Hello, this is Pastor Lute. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. If you Google the story, you, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, an aid worker by the name of Jessica Buchanan. I think it was 2013. She was in Somalia uh, doing some, um, some volunteer work there and uh, part of it was helping out uh, just in in the kind of the recovery and rehabilitation of child soldiers which is kind of ironic uh, as you'll see in a minute but so while she is there she's in Somalia and um, they were traveling in a car and their car was hijacked Uh, she was kidnapped Um, a local guy an AK-47 hops in the car I I think they replaced the driver as well and um, and they just take off and she describes just how fast and frantically uh, this driver was driving I mean literally just bouncing all over in the back seat um, at one point she says she she heard a high-pitched voice and she goes like there's a woman in the vehicle like there's a woman involved in this and she turned around and she estimates it was probably about a 10 year old boy was in the back seat with an AK-47 that, that was part of this as well too and was one of her captors really throughout this this entire deal um, she is uh, transported off to another location, and then she meets kind of the leader, and uh, and it's very very gripping to to hear her just reflect on on that opening kind of experience, and um, you know just it can't end like this, and all these things that she hasn't done yet, and um, just you know it can't end like this, and and so she's brought before the leader, and, and of course she's convinced that they're either going to kill her or violate her or something like that. And, uh, and so they ask, I mean, are, are you, there was a, a Danish uh, gentleman as well, too, an aid worker who's also uh, kidnapped, and they say, are you going to kill us? And he goes, no, money. It was, they kid, it was a financial investment. Um, they were hoping to, to sell them back, you know, to their governments for their freedom. Opening bid was $45 million uh, for these, uh, these two aid workers. Um, taken off into the, the desert where she was kept um, in just brutal conditions. I mean, just uh, food was uh, a can of tuna fish and some bread, maybe, um, a day. Like, that was that was your entire day's ration and just kind of sleeping on the desert floor. And, you know, of course, other negotiations are, are taking place for her release and that kind of thing. And, and every so often they would do a phone call or a video, kind of a proof of life uh, to get her, her release. But her health continues to deteriorate. Um, she was in the in the desert for I think it was three months, all total. And you know you never know how long it's going to be. You know, was, and, but um, was there for three months. But towards the end, uh, got very sick. And in a phone call, she said, "I think I have a kidney infection." And um, she was no longer able to stand or walk or anything like that. And she thought that you know, her husband and her dad would be aware of her conditions, but she had no idea that actually sort of updates were were being given to the president throughout this this entire time. And so uh, they consulted with a doctor, and they said if it is a kidney infection, she only has a couple weeks. And so uh, President Obama authorized SEAL Team 6 to go in and get her. And so one night, um, her in, in the middle of the night, a gunfire uh, erupts and she's just hiding uh, under a blanket which I mean I would do the same but at the same time you're like what's the blanket going to do for you lady not a whole lot you know but I um, mean that was just all she had 
after the gunfire ends, she said there are these hands that are, that are you know, kind of shaking her, and they're like, hey, Jessica, Jessica, we're Americans, we're here for you. And she just, she couldn't comprehend it. She just kept asking, like, you're Americans? Like, just, it was just so beyond what she could imagine. She couldn't walk, and so one of them just picked her up and ran for several minutes. They, they ran to the, to the extrication location um, and, and kind of hunkered down there. Uh, and then at one point, they thought they heard something, so they asked her to lay down, and then the seals formed a perimeter around her, and then one of them laid down on top of her and shielded her body with his. And then they, they sat there, and they waited for the helicopter to come in. So one helicopter lands. Uh, Jessica was placed on that helicopter. The seals stayed behind, and then another helicopter took them away. So she never saw them again, never heard from them, has no idea who they were, uh, they were all decked out in camo. She couldn't even see them that well. And, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of how the, the story ends. She's written a book about it, and, and you can find the, the interview on YouTube. But it's, it's such an amazing story of, of rescue, um, of valor, of heroic acts, of uh, just self, uh, selfish uh, or selfless um, living. I mean, it's just, it's great. And I think stories like that, resonate with all of us in, in some capacity or inspire us in some capacity. Today, we're going to do another uh, great rescue story. Uh, we're in a sermon series looking at uh, some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, you have five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And the minor prophets are minor just because they wrote shorter books. Um, you can pull up that, that slideshow again, just kind of as a reminder of timeline. So we spent a couple days uh, looking at Amos. So this is, so you have two countries. You know, Israel had a little tiff. They split into two countries. The northern ten tribes uh, kept the name Israel. Uh, they're the top line there. The bottom two countries adopted the name Judah. And then those are all the minor prophets. And when they spoke and, and that kind of thing, a couple of them went up and spoke in Nineveh. That was the country actually that kidnapped Israel. Um, you'll see there, that's Jonah. And so part of why Jonah was reluctant to preach to Nineveh was because those were the people who had kidnapped and killed his people, and he did not want to preach to them because he was worried that they would say yes to Jesus and accept his forgiveness, and he didn't want to do that. Um, so you can go to the next slide. So just kind of zoning in, I mean, we, we talked, uh, we covered Amos, and then uh, today we're going to cover Hosea. And so Amos has already come in, uh, what is that, uh, about 40, 50 years earlier. And, okay, you can get rid of that. Thanks, Josh. So Amos has already come in and preached a message of repentance. Uh, but it appears it wasn't really heard. And so um, Hosea is, is up next. So we're about, uh, with Hosea, we're about 750 years before Christ. Uh, Hosea is living in the land of Israel. Um, and... Amos has already come through, didn't really get a response, and God is really desperate. I'm going to use that word. He's very desperate to get the attention of, of the Israelites. Um, he's very desperate for ha to have them to turn from their sin, to return to him, to receive his forgiveness. They continue to refuse. And so kind of as a, and again, these are my words here, kind of almost as the last-ditch effort, God is going to show them how they are behaving, and, and what could be if they would only return to God. 
And so God speaks to Hosea, young man, prophet, man of God, uh, good guy. And, and God says to Hosea, he goes, I want you to marry an unfaithful wife. Okay? I'm going to try to speak in code here as much as I can because we've got little ears, but just hang with me here, people. Different translations use different words. I'm rolling with unfaithful. Um, God goes, I want you to, to marry a, an unfaithful wife. Uh, Hosea finds a young woman by the name of Gomer. Bummer of a name, Gomer. Marries her. Um, one, one commentary says, you know, okay, there's like at least eight different possibilities for, for what's going on, but just as we look at different clues and kind of narrow it down and just kind of that. Um, scholars feel that, at, you know, Gomer is already making the rounds, okay? Um, whether or not she is getting paid for her services or whether or not she just really likes to party, not really sure, but she's, this is an active young woman, okay? Um, it is, it, it's fascinating to me, and Scripture doesn't get into this, but just, I mean, what was it like for Hosea, even just personally, to, to marry Gomer? You know, knowing this history. To say, yep, okay, I'm going to marry this woman, and she's going to absolutely rip my heart out time and time again. Or even socially, right? Like, how does Hosea, you know, spread the word, hey, I'm, I'm getting married, and his buddies are like, oh, you're engaged, that's so great. You know, excited for you. Who's the lucky gal? Oh, uh, gal by the name of Gomer. Hmm, that might, you know, I know a Gomer, but it can't be your Gomer. Because uh, the Gomer I know, like, Mm, you know, reputation going on, like you want to steer clear of, uh, no, it's, it's the same Gomer. Oh, okay then. Jose and Gomer are married for a few years. Uh, it appears that things are going well. They have three kids. Uh, I think they are his kids. At this point in Hosea, you'll, you'll see a little bit of a transition. So the, you know, the first part, uh, kind of the narrator gives us the story. And, and then in chapter 2, it, it shifts a little bit. There's some explanation, um, um, also some explanation around the kids and, and their names. And we're going to skip that for today. There's Really, he names his kids in such a way that they are prophetic messages uh, to the, the nation of Israel. So there's a lot that, that we could unpack there. And so a, a lot happens. And, you know, the story moves very quickly, but it, it does leave a, a few clues as, as to what's going on. Um, so in chapter 1, they, you know, they get married and, and they have some kids. Um, chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Uh, raisin cakes were uh, considered kind of a, a refreshment or an aphrodisiac back then. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an amount, uh, a homer and a lethic of barley, 
Then I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. I will live with you. There's a couple clues in the grammar on this and also just in other parts of the book. But first off, obviously, it's just that Homer is gone. Okay? Homer, we, we don't know the details. Or, I'm sorry, Gomer. <laughs> Gomer is gone. Gomer left. And it says that Hosea had to buy her. Which is, I mean, she is his wife. And yet he has to buy her back. But probably based, I mean, kind of the culture of the day and that kind of thing. She was probably in some kind of debt slavery. That that was a, a fairly common thing back then. So she could not afford to live on her own. She had racked up some debts. I don't know, credit card bills, bankruptcy, right? Needed some cash, couldn't make it on her own. So she sold herself to someone to cover her debts. And Hosea has to buy Gomer and suggest a lot of things. Um, A thing back then uh, was that the pagan temple would have prostitutes employed in their service. And people would either sell themselves or sell a family member to the temple for that purpose, right? I mean, fathers would sell their own daughters to the temple, you know, for, for some coin. And so there's, there's kind of two main options here. The, the first option, sort of the nicest, cleanest option, is that Gomer has indebted herself, but she has indebted herself to just one man. She's having, you know, relations, physical relations, with this one man. And then um, Hosea has to barter for her and buys her back. The other option, and kind of the, the worst option, um, is that actually is that she is uh, an employee at the local pagan temple. And Hosea has to go and barter to to buy his wife back from the temple. And the reason I say barter is because in the Hebrew, that word for bought is akin to barter or haggle or where you go back and forth on price. And and in fact, some actually believe that, that use of that word actually indicates auction. So he, Hosea had to go to the temple because they were auctioning off some of their employees and he had to bid on her and buy his wife back that way. Also, the the price that is given, so he, he pays in silver and barley. If you total it up, that's about 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. And that's where this idea of probably a debt slavery came in. But that total price is it was the price of a slave back then. But he pays in both silver and barley, but what that suggests is that he had a really hard time coming up with enough cash to make the payment. Like, he only had so much silver, so here's the silver, and then I'll pay the rest out of my, sort of my food reserves or my food stores for the winter. So the guy basically empties the checking account, the savings account, and the pantry to scrap together enough coin to make the payment. I also wonder what it was like even just for Hosea to find her. I mean, like, like, did he know where she was or not? Like, how long had they been apart? Did she say? I mean, it's, you know, you text some of your friends. You try to get some of your old con- her old contacts, right? I mean, hey, have, have you seen Hosea? 
Have you seen Gomer? No, 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 I haven't. I'm sorry. I mean, to what extent is he having to, to ask around and, and find her? And how humiliating is that? I mean, does he have to go down to the temple and be like, hey, is, does Gomer work here? I'm, I'm looking for my wife. I don't know where she's at. What's it like to hunt down, pursue your adulterous wife, only to find out that she's massively in debt, had to sell herself to debtors, and to buy her back is so expensive for you that, 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 that you barter for a price, you, have to, you empty all of your resources to buy her. And then, of course, there, there's the possibility that all this is even taking place at a public auction. God begins this whole narrative in chapter 3. By saying, go love again. And I'm fascinated by that, that wording and that terminology. That this, that this part of the story begins with the phrase, go love again. Because for Hosea, I'm guessing love is gone. Right? There's betrayal. There's cheating. There's you left me. Um, there, like, there is no love. There's just abandonment. But the whole redemptive process has to begin with Hosea choosing to love again. Hosea never would have done what he did. I don't think he ever would have gone through all that he had gone through had he not chosen to love again. Hosea brings Gomer back into the home. Uh, one of my first questions, even off that, is just, I mean, what is it like with the kids, right? Because for the longest time, the question has probably been, hey, Dad, where's Mom? Right? When is she coming home? Now the question is shift to, hey, Mom, where were you? Hey, why did you leave us? Hey, are you going to leave again? Hosea brings Gomer back in, uh, into his home, and... And, but, and it appears that, that he actually renews his vows or renews his covenant with her. It, it, it seems a little bit cryptic at first, but, but he says, I told her, you are to live with me many days. You, you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. And the scholars are saying that that is Hosea making a commitment to his wife. That she will live with him, be faithful to him, he will be faithful to her. They'll live together as husband and wife. And the, the marriage, the, the family, is restored. For the next ten chapters, the entire rest of the book, and it's quite a bit, I mean ten chapters, God uses this brief story to explain to Israel how they are behaving and what could be if they are willing to return to God and, and, and turn away from their ways. This, this simple, brief story is the entire basis for it. I mean, the story is brief, it's fast, it's cryptic, and yet it is one of the most powerful stories of God's love for us. Three ideas for you to, to consider this week, um, just as in, in looking at, um, at looking at this story. We'll look at Hosea again next week as well, too, but three ideas just for today. The first and the most blatant um, part, and just kind of it's kind of in our face that, that we have to acknowledge, is just that God is Hosea, and you and I are Gomer. Right? Like, that's just, that's kind of the most obvious part of the story. 
Israel continued to worship other gods. Um, they continued to fail at social justice. And so for the Lord, when, when his people are worshiping other gods, it, it's like they're committing adultery. Like that's what it's like for God when, when his people do that. And the reason that, that this is in the Bible, that 2,750 years later, we're still reading the story, and the reason that, that this is here is because we are just as susceptible to this today as they were back then. This is in the Bible to explain to you how I can be like Gomer. This is here to explain how you can be like Gomer. Right? We don't get to be Hosea. We're not the heroes of the story. We're not the ones to save the day. God is the hero. God saves the day. I, your pastor, at times have behaved like Gomer. And at times you have behaved like Gomer. And, and I look at our country. And I look at what is going on in our society. And, and I look at the activities and, and laws that get passed and, and platforms that, that politicians will claim in the hope of gaining the most voice uh, votes. And we're, we're Gomer and then some. But the good news is that in all this, God is Hosea. And God so loves you and I that he just keeps coming after us. John 3.16, it's not that God loved the world. It's that God so loved the world. And I think there's a lot more in that so than than we really think about. Like, what does it mean to to just so so love someone? Right? Like, have you ever seen a a parent or a spouse, you know, with a bad case of the the, the so loved? Right? Like, they're kind of crazy and fun to watch from a safe distance, you know, like, they just get a little wild. Paul writes in his, in his letter to Rome, he goes, maybe, maybe, if you are a, an amazing person, maybe someone be, one would be willing to die for you. Maybe. But for the common man, no, no, no one's going to die for you. Not a chance. But God is so amazing that while we're still disobedient, and ignorant that Jesus died for us. He writes it like this, Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The driving message in the book of Hosea is that despite our sins, despite our faults, despite our betrayal, and despite our failure, God loves us dearly. He pursues us, desperately wants relationship with us. And if we are willing to confess our sins, he is willing to forgive them. We are Gomer, God is Hosea. Okay, second idea for for you to to take home. And this is an idea I just kind of want to sort of address this this head-on uh, for this one, uh, speaking mainly to the, to the men in the room here. Um, the gentleman, the, I am very aware that the storyline of, you know, I was in distress, but my true love came and rescued me and restored me, and we get to live happily ever together, right? Which Hosea fits that model in many ways, right? I am fully aware 
that while there are many women that love that story, for a lot of men, like, it just falls flat, right? Like, we're just, right, like, my love came and rescued me, right? Like, that's not something I brag about. That's something I'm embarrassed by, you know? Like, um, that's, that's just not what we dream of. For, for us as men, we don't want to be rescued by the knight in shining armor. Like, we want to be the knight in shining armor. And even at that, shiny armor is kind of lame. Like, we want the beat-up stuff that's been through a few battles, right? Like, why is it all shiny and polished and clean? What have you been doing with yourself, you know? So what this means, though, is that we want to be Hosea, not, not the damsel in distress. Okay. The, for years, I've had on my, my shelf a book. Uh, it's called Why Men Hate Going to Church. Fascinating read. Um, but as soon as I decided on Hosea, I pulled that book off and just started reviewing uh, that one again. Because as soon as I decided on Hosea, I just got a little bit nervous about the, the storyline and how it does connect with us as men. So here's where I'm at currently on this. And it might change tomorrow, because as I learn things, I change, and you should too. But here's where I'm at today. When you look at the whole of Scripture, when you look at how God designed us uh, as men, when you look at what God calls us to as men, um, I believe that God designed us and called us in many ways to be the knight. Uh, I believe that we, he has called us to be the one who fights, who provides, who protects, um, the one who is willing to lay down their life for the ones they, they love, uh, to be the ones who initiate and pursue the one woman that we will love for all our life. I believe that we are called to challenge and risk and even achieve. We are called to action and adventure and bold moves. And so in our earthly relationships, I believe that's us. But when it comes to salvation... When it comes to inner heart change, when it comes to transformation of the mind, we have to admit that we are the gomer because we cannot save ourselves in those areas, right? We cannot achieve our way into heaven, right? Like, we cannot change our hearts and our minds just based on willpower, right? In all of those things, we are dependent... Upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our commander. He's our leader. He's our savior. So sin has us in bondage. Much like Gomer was in debt slavery. And like Gomer. We are unable to rescue ourselves. Only an outside force. uh, Can do that. And so that is Jesus. So here's my conclusion on this. Gentlemen. In our earthly relationships. I expect Hosea. From each and every one of you. And I think we need to hold each other accountable to that. And, and that's the standard. I expect valor. I expect bravery. I expect leadership. I expect sacrificial love. But when it comes to our relationship with Christ, when it comes to all that, Jesus gets to be Hosea. And we are the Gomer. Spiritually, we are the ones needing rescue. So there's that. Third idea that, that I want you to take home. When you and I realize that we have played the gomer, um, that we have been the ones who have been unfaithful or sinned against God, first of all, we realize that, that there are a lot more gomers out there, that the world is full of gomers. But secondly, we, we start to say, 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to help others know that Jesus can be their Hosea. We become passionate and driven and committed that that others experience the, the same freedom and rescue that we experienced. That people need to know, that people need to hear. Matthew 9, uh, verse 9. Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And in this next line, Jesus is going to quote from the book of Hosea. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is quoting the book of Hosea. I think it's Hosea 6.6. And he's saying, I have come to pursue sinners. I am your Hosea. Folks, it is not at all neat and tidy when gomers reconnect with Hosea. All right? That's messy. Um, It's not a predictable formula. It's not a predictable timeline. It is messy to help gomers find Jesus. Um, But it doesn't matter because we are committed to this and we're going for it. The other thing is just that this gospel will wreck your plans. Like, you'll think you'll know what the next year holds or or your life or your summer and and whatnot. And God's going to step in and he's going to break your heart for the things that break his. And the biggest thing I believe that that breaks God's heart more than anything else is when people are far from him. You and I have played the role of Gomer. You and I know someone who has played the role of Gomer. And so we commit that whatever it takes, we introduce them to Jesus who can be their Hosea. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll worship and conclude. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this just remarkable, powerful story uh, that you have given us in, in the book of Hosea. And Lord, in many ways, it, it's, it's second only to the story of the cross. Uh, In many ways, it is the story of the cross. Lord, thank you for all that we can learn from this, uh, this story. God, I pray that for each of us, in ways that, that we have played the gomer, that we would repent, that we would turn to you, that we would let you be our Hosea. And Lord, we commit to helping others find you as well. We thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Amen.